family story is an American story. I am a native of Sierra Leone. I am a citizen. I am an immigrant. I am American. It's a great pleasure for me to welcome you all to this year's Nobel Prize Award Ceremony. This is a day I've been looking forward to for two and a half years. Since the coronavirus outbreak started affecting people financially, the church has been feeding families. The lead pastor says after the Freedom fly all over Europe. Hundreds of thousands crowd into American churches to give thanks to God. Well, I could just pray and dismiss you all. We could go celebrate, but that wouldn't be doing my responsibility as the pastor of Ridgeview Church. Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here to worship with us. Uh, my name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we had a uh, our, Joey, our djembe player, get sick, and so I'm wearing another hat. I retired from playing drums, to, and I just came out of retirement today. And then, So thank you for bearing with me. I'm not too sweaty. That was what I was worried about. Uh, that wasn't in my intro. I just shared that. There you go. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, this, this holiday actually does represent something uh, significant. Um, I believe if you are uh, an American citizen, that, that's something that you should be uh, proud of. Uh, we're actually very privileged to uh, live in this country. Crying wasn't on the intro either, but... Um, there's a lot of mixed messages today about our country, and you could believe many sorts of things from the things that you see, from the things that you read, things that people tell you. And I like what captured in that video. It's easy when you read that to have like a superiority complex, like we think we're better. Uh, but there's actually some real uh, realizations that part of the blessing that we have in this country uh, is not because of what necessarily we have done here and now. Uh, there's actually blessings in this country because of those who went before us for ideals that they stood for, uh, from our founding uh, to many wars that were paying the price for the cost you know, of freedom. And so today what I hope to do is talk a little bit about uh, where we are as a country and how many of you would say in the last year and a half, uh, you've stepped back and be like, 
what is going on with America? Has anyone ever experienced that? Yeah. I think all of us would say uh, there's been a lots of uh, events, lots of issues, lots of complex things that have all been going on that have impacted us as, as citizens. And so today, I don't want to talk about how to get back to our past glory or how to make it even uh, all about America. Uh, my, my goal today is to talk about how do we as people, citizens here and now, how do we make the most of the opportunity that we've been given? If you live here, I believe that God has actually made that on purpose. You're here and you're born in this season because God ordained that. He chose the years that you would live your life. He chose the decades that you would experience what life is all about. And so we have a unique opportunity here on this earth. And if you are a Christ follower, you actually have a role to play in bringing the light of Jesus to this season here and now. So I hope what to do is to kind of shed some light and give a background on maybe the question of where, you know, where, where are we and then how did we get to this point and then what do we need uh, to do? And all of us, I think, could have uh, a list of things that we see that we really appreciate about our country. Hopefully you have a list that you could appreciate. And then there's some things that you could maybe write a list of things that you uh, are struggling with, like there's problems that you see. And actually, that's the case no matter what country it is. There's things that are good, there's things that are bad. But our founding of our country, which we celebrate today, is unique compared to really any other country because our founding fathers, depending on what you've heard, but our founding fathers actually did have a reference for God. They actually established our country with this sense of like God exists, he's real in the world, and we need to operate and we need to treat each other, and we need to govern in light of that reference point. Like, we're not here alone without God. He is the creator who created us, and therefore, there's a reference that we have. Now, even further than that, it was beyond just a reference. There was also a reverence where he, God himself, was kind of built into the structure of why we do what we do in this country, to give freedom to people, to actually, like the the declaration says, like, the life, the liberty, and the pursuit of, of happiness. But that pursuit of happiness uh, in the original context for where it was written is actually the pursuit of the moral life according to God's design, the moral way, this idea of there is right or wrong, and we want to have this pursuit where we could live rightly uh, before God. So there was a, a reference and a reference. And because of that, we can watch a video about the blessing because those two go hand in hand. We are a blessed country because we actually did establish it, again, with this viewpoint that we are not independent by ourselves, able to figure it out alone. We actually need help. We need help from the Almighty. We need help from God. We need actually even God's word to guide us. And we live in a time where, where we've, we've forgotten that. And everyone is looking at the problems, but nobody knows the solution. And everyone's looking at the problems, but don't even know what the core problem is. And so we actually have a role as the church to be the kind of people that God has called us to be to actually point people to where they can find answers. That's our role. That's significant. That has meaning. And that's even beyond the kingdom or the country of America. That is connected to the kingdom of God and this opportunity, again, that we have uh, to be light. So I want to talk a little bit about what has happened in the past, the first question. What I want to do is if you've experienced frustration, again, 
this past year, like, wow, what are we talking about in this country? Why are we focusing on the things that we're focusing on? Or why are we saying the things that we're saying? Or why are we doing the things that we're doing? Um, It's easy to be reactive and just try to figure out what the problem is. But in our country, part of the issues that we're seeing right now in our current framework is because of things that have actually happened over a few hundred years. Now, doesn't that kind of like feel discouraging? Because it's like a problem. We want an easy fix, like quick fix. Let's see the problem. Maybe it's this root, and we just want to pull it up, and that it's gone. But there's been things that we have done, citizens of this country, that have actually led us to this point. The reason I bring that up is because there's going to be things that we need to do as citizens of our country, and again, as followers of Christ, that can begin to actually get us really on the track where we're looking again to God. So what I want to do is this is going to feel a little bit like a history class. So if you're like a student, it's going to feel a little bit like class, but hopefully you won't fall asleep. If you do, I'll just... And that's your cue, I need to wake up, okay? But what I wanna do is I wanna give you some context because again, for us to be able to figure out where we are and what we need to do, we actually have to understand. We need to take a little bit of a 30,000 foot view. So I hope to give you kind of a sense of that. Now, here's a caveat. It's gonna feel a little gloomy. It's gonna feel like kind of hopeless. But it's absolutely not. Because I believe that the reference and reverence of God is exactly what we need. And so God hasn't changed. He's not disappeared. He's not actually pulled back. He's still here, and he will help us. And so even if you feel discouraged, and you might find like, yeah, I see that. Oh, man, that's so true. Um, The goal is, what do we do? And that's what I'll get to in the latter part. So let's kind of move through this. Uh, What's happened in the fast? Uh, Number one. You could see this on the PowerPoint, and then I'll kind of fill in some details. Christians have been led to believe that the Bible has little to do with the real world. Uh, We have God's book, his scriptures, and originally, uh, the intent of the scriptures is to guide us in every aspect of life. And that was, again, part of our founding. Like, we looked to God for wisdom. We looked for God for the defining of the good life. That definition came from him. Well, over time, because of a few events, uh, that's changed, I want to just give you a brief overview of this. The first is uh, the Enlightenment. It's very interesting. As you study history, you look at the Enlightenment and being uh, like experiencing progress. The more enlightened humans become, usually it means the less uh, say God has. Uh, The more competent we are in ourselves, the less we see competence in God. Those actually kind of go hand in hand. Now, don't hear me today like our solution is let's go back to the Dark Ages. That's not the solution, but it's very interesting the more competent we get in ourselves oftentimes, and that's just how it is in life, the less we actually look to God for help, the less we see his in being competent. And that's kind of what we see. The Enlightenment uh, made a shift. Reason, uh, not faith, was the need. People didn't need faith, they needed reason. That's how you're gonna make progress. Uh, The Bible became spiritual but not intellectual. And you can actually see that today. If you were gonna post something that the scripture said about a societal issue, and offer that as the solution on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. Could you imagine what would happen? What, that book? Yeah, don't bring that out here. Keep that in the church. It's the idea of like it's spiritual, but it doesn't belong in any other maybe arena or platform. This began in the 16 to 1800s. That impacts us today. Uh, that also brought the rise of Darwinism and evolution. You guys hear about that in school? You ever heard of that, evolutionary theory? Life and development Again, the premise that it exists without God. Again, we're, we have enough 
fortitude and understanding like we don't need God as the creator. Therefore, we came up with our own solution and alternative. We weren't created by God. We were created by this evolutionary process that happens over millions of years. Uh, Because of that, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about science and how the universe operates. So there's now a separation. Freud, remember him? You ever heard of him? Freud, I told you, this is going to be a little history, a little history here. Freud is the early 1900s. This is now the development of psychology, psychiatry, and this uh, defined what human life ought to be like. You want to know what it's like to be a human. You look to psychology, you look to psychiatry, like this practice. Uh, That's what solves human problems, and that is what's needed to understand culture and society. So this began these shifts. That was around early 1900s. Then that led to kind of this Christian worldview because of these movements, it began to be uh, discarded. And that uh, actually gave the rise of Marxism. You heard of that word? That's the hot word right now. Marxism. Um, That was like the preemptive development before sociology. And again, Bible could speak to spiritual relationships, but God uh, was not adequate uh, for understanding the human situation. To understand the human situations, the humans have to define it. And again, it's the picture of like there's a box, and this box has God labeled on it. And the Bible and the church is put in this box, and anything related to God or spirituality is in the box. But anything related to like your life, your struggles, your problems, your family, government, society, culture, it's not in the God box, so we have to figure out the answers. That was a major shift, major shift in our country. That's happened over the last you know, few hundred years. Uh, the net effect is the Bible could be a book where one could get saved. You heard that, like, you can get saved. You can turn to God for help in this really spiritual crisis moment you have, but it can't really guide you. And that's where we see ourselves uh, today. Further, that led to this intelligent, inquiring mind to understand the fundamental matters of life and the universe. You got this from philosophy. If you really wanted understanding and you really want to be an intellectual, uh, there was this pull, like you don't look to the scriptures. Again, that's spiritual, it's not intellectual. So philosophy can give you your answers. Science will give you your answers. Psychology will give you your answers. Sociology, political theory, and everything in between. That's what we're seeing today. So to become a mentally healthy person, we talk a lot about mental health. That doesn't fit within the God box because mental health is outside of it. And you don't need the Bible, you don't need God. And you turn to a self-help book or a guru and you'll be fine. Does any of this sound familiar? This is what kids are taught in schools, 100%. It's not a question. This is what they're taught. There's no course, Bible, where you're gonna learn how to apply the Bible to your life. I mean, that, that would be, sacri- like, that wouldn't even make sense. What they are learning is that God is actually not needed for any sort of a good or moral life. And this has happened over hundreds of years to the point where now we're seeing in our country right now, people are graduating from high school, not even college anymore, with a Marxist, socialist mentality. It's happening. And you could see it. And it's because from the Enlightenment to Darwinism to Freud, all of these things have been pushed and they've been lived out over time. People have been taught these as theories, but they're also this approach of life. This is what we're seeing Uh, in our country uh, today. The Bible has been taken out of the frame of American life, period. You guys feeling good yet? 
All right, stay with me. It gets better. But it will get worse before it gets better. This is my world. Number two, pastors have become teachers, not leaders. Actually, in the founding of our country, pastors had a seat at the table to influence culture. They actually were given this role to help what would make a a culture, a society, a government wise. Like, how would you organize it? How would people treat each other? And the church and a society and a city were like combined. There was a sense of like where the the city uh, center was where the church was. And that was within the plannings of, of cities. Like, how do we make sure we incorporate faith and the church in the framework and the fabric of all society? But what's shifted over time is that pastors are no longer the leaders in society. That box that it contains the God of the scriptures and the scriptures themselves in the Bible now also includes pastors. So you could speak to this area, but you have to stay in your lane. And so you can produce content. You can maybe give helpful stories, but you can't really help with the workings of real life. A fewer and fewer people over the last hundred years ask a pastor or the church for how do you solve family problems or emotional problems. Where would they go? They go to the psychologist. They go to the counselor. They go to political theory. Now, this isn't like an anti-counseling. It can actually be very helpful. But the question is, what is the framework that the counselor is giving their perspective from? That's the whole issue. How do they think life works? Is God included in their worldview? Or is God in a box? Because if God's in a box and their counsel comes to you, it will come with that separation. And that will cause problems. Again, pastors were trained to teach the Bible and stirs people, stir people's hearts to love God and, and to be nice. Like We just need to be nice in the church. Be nice. What does that mean? I don't know but we're supposed to do it. We need to be nice. The church has become a place that produces content but does not impact people and society in most of America. That's been happening, again, longer than 100 years. Think about this. If you have trouble with parenting, uh, what would you do? If you have trouble with your marriage, what would you do? If you have trouble with, with your mental health, suicidal thoughts, what would you do? In the past, it would be I need to talk to somebody in the church to give me help because spiritual, God's word, God himself will help me with these real issues. Now, the church would be the last place you would go. Have you guys seen this? Experience it? It's all, it's all around us. This is the current state of our country. So that's number two. Pastors become teachers, not leaders. And then number three, the church has lost its Christian culture. Now, here's what's really interesting. Before World War II, the culture of the church and the culture in the U.S. were actually more alike than they were different, right? That's why sometimes you turn on like old TV shows, like from maybe even even the 50s, you see this like nostalgia, like, wow, it's like, leave it to Beaver, like, right? You guys remember that show? You know what that show is? Some of you, some of you are like, I don't even know what he's talking about. Is that like National Geographic? No, it's an actual show about family. Black and white. Anytime you see black and white, it's like this old, like, oh, it's like the old days. 
And it represents kind of that, that, that period of the 40s and 50s represent like that classic Americana. The reason that is, is because at that point, that's when the shift began to happen. But it was the sense of American culture and the Christian culture were actually closely aligned. There were still parts of our founding which were together. And some of you may be here, but you're like longing for how do we get back to that? And again, we'll, we'll get there in a moment. But that's really where the shift began to happen. I wanna share with you four biblical principles of the American founding because I think this is really interesting. People don't talk about this, but uh, here they are. Number one, God is the ruler of the world, supreme legislator, executive, and judge. These were uh, all of the principles behind the establishment of our country. Remember the reference and reverence of God. He wasn't just added on. He was, he was actually central. Number two, God is the creator and giver of rights, not men. We actually have rights because it's not from anyone's hand but, but the hand of God. As soon as he made you, he gave you rights. He's God. In fact, he's the only one who can give you those rights. That's why no man can take it away. It's from the hand of God. This is in the founding of our country. Number three, people are sovereign. The purpose of government is to secure and defend rights, not give rights. Again, the sovereign, the idea of like, I have been given freedom and I need to live my life in a way that pleases the almighty God. I've been given that as a gift from God and I need to live it in light of that. And again, that's why when it's the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the giver of rights, that sovereign, it's the idea of like, I'm gonna live with God in mind and I'm gonna live within a moral framework. And he gets to set the, the framework of what's right and what's wrong. According to his word, that's in the founding of our country. And then number four, unjust government should be opposed, altered, or abolished by the people. Okay, we're awake. Now, you know what state we're in, right? That's what it feels like at times. But I mean, this has to be in there, right? Because we're celebrating the independence of a country that left the country that it came from. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm, I'm like half British. So you may think like I'm torn in this. I'm absolutely not torn. I'm an American citizen and I love my freedom. I don't talk about it too much with my family on my mom's side who are all from England. I don't rub it into their face, okay? I have a little bit more wisdom than that. But number four is the idea of, of the framing, right? Like it wasn't just to get what we want. It was a sense of like we are free, sovereign people. God has given it to us. And so to keep a clear conscience before God, we need to declare our independence. And we're in a time now where we've experienced so much of the blessings of these decisions, but did you see how much God was listed in every single one of those? And now because of our progress and because we've been enlightened, we wanna act like he doesn't exist. And people still want the same blessings like he does, even if they don't act like it. It's like we want it both ways. We've been given freedom, but we don't wanna actually have any reference or reverence for God. People have no idea of what has been given so that we could have the freedoms that we have. But it's not just for ourselves. It's because we actually want to live life 
in light of the Almighty One who gave us the gift, who gave us the breath. World War II brought sweeping social changes to the younger people. I wanna just go through this really quick, but this will help you kind of see. Okay, this is post-World War II. That's when real major shifts begin to happen. And if you're a baby boomer, how many of you are baby boomers? Okay, I'll get to you in a moment. Just kidding. Politically far-left views began being pushed in the courts. So this is like late 40s, early 50s. This is starting to happen in the courts. Supreme Court began to shift away from Christian roots to a bias against Christianity. People began to begin leadership where it was slowly moving us away from this God frame reference and reverence. The push of schools toward atheism began in the 1940s, and then it accelerated in the 60s and the 70s. In the 50s, the rise of the TV and the personal radios brought greater change in America's society and morality. So if you could imagine, if you grew up and you are a boomer, uh, a lot of times what happened is you grew up as this shift began to happen. And before personal radios and before the TV came into the household, your family had control over the messages that were being given. Now, there were, it was happening in the schools already. But when you came home, your family was deciding what was true, what was right, what was real. And then what happened with the establishment of the media devices that now were in the home, there was actually now no space where the messages were gonna be filtered. And we see that today. You go from a personal radio to now a personal phone. And now we're all inundated with messages every minute of every day. And the question is, well, what are those messages telling us? What are they saying about how life works? Uh, the boomer generation grew up in the media values built around gratifying the desires of the individual. That's where the shift happened. It wasn't just about the pursuit of happiness within this moral framework. It was the pursuit of happiness to get what I want. That was a major shift. And the message was promoted by the media. And then it was begun to be reinforced by what was happening in our government and in our Supreme Court. By the time the boomers began having kids, that's me, Gen Xers, uh, the popular culture only faintly resembled the American of the past or the church that had been. So it just happened that, that quick. Again, it was happening. The Enlightenment, evolutionary theory, Marxism, all these things were kind of providing the cracks. And then before we know it, from one generation to the other, American culture and Christian culture were like, they were on this, this separation. And now we, we, we see it. Uh, began in the Enlightenment, and now it impacts us every single way. And the definition of the good life now comes from that frame, framework. If you want a good life, if you want to have an intellectual understanding, if you want to really know what's right, you don't look to God because he's in a box. It's only related to the spiritual things. But if you really want to know, you got to look elsewhere. And again, this is being reinforced in every aspect of our, our country. So where are we now? Well, I've already talked about some of that, but let me just go br uh, through it briefly. Uh, we have a national context where we're dominated now by the left-oriented uh, media, media, and it, it drives just individual gratification. And at the end of the day, whatever the message is, the real motivation is money. That's the power struggle, to get money, to get the power, and to get you to do what they want you to do. And that comes with how you spend your money. In our national context, there's now many alternative ways to meaning in life. 
uh, religious paths like Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, or New Age paths uh, like witchcraft, neo-paganism. And then we're also seeing the rise of political ideology, uh, ideologies like socialism, Marxism, critical race theory. You heard of any of those? Now you guys don't want to say anything. The interesting thing about all of these alternatives, they actually have no solution for how you deal with the problem. But the solution comes from God. The great thing about God is we may try to put him in a box, but no box contains him. He has the solution to our problem. It's actually a sin problem. It's an evil problem. It's an independence, rebellion from God problem. So the very thing that people think is only spiritual, what they don't realize is that that's actually true. God is spiritual. But every problem is a spiritual problem. And he has the answers. And so now we see movements like defund the police. I could go off on a lot of tangents. But if you really think some of these things and you take it out to their like logical uh, you know, end, how does it make sense? Again, look at the framework of our country. You actually need people to uphold the law so that people's sovereignty and the rights that they've been given are protected. So what I wanna do now, who here has, has served in the military? If you've served in the military, please stand, please stand up. And stay standing. Who here is like uh, in law enforcement? Law enforcement, if you're in law enforcement, please, please stand up. Thank you. Who's a first responder? If you're a first responder, please, please stand up. Thank you. I just want to say something. Stay standing. We're to honor you. Because you are actually doing what's right before God. Through your past service or what you're doing right now, you're upholding the gift that's been given, that's protected. And we're in a time, and I've, I've had many conversations with some of you, and I know it's been a very hard season for you and your families. But on behalf of our church, and really on behalf of our country, before God, thank you for what you do. Let's give them another hand. You guys can have a seat. All of these movements, again, they're trying to deal with the problem without dealing with the core. Because you can't deal with the core problem without God. You have no means, because he's the creator. He holds it all together. He has the answers. So we now look to alternatives, defund the police, choose your own sexuality and sex, even if God has created you. And he decided what sex you will be. That's his role. He is the almighty God. We now prescribe to being woke, intersexuality, right privilege, to name a few. Again, these have not just come up from everywhere. These have come up because we are trying to be gods ourselves. We're trying to solve a problem that only God can solve in the Bible, which can help. 
which gives us the light, which gives us uh, the truth. And so we now have, because of all this, a book in the Bible, which to society is just like any other spiritual book. It doesn't really offer any alternative help. Uh, To church members, that's us. It's useful to get in touch with God and spirituality, but to, to most of us, what you see across our country is the Bible is not really helpful to give you the insight for philosophy, science, history, psychology, society, or life in general. Again, we've, we've cut uh, God off. So that's, that's where we, we've been. We've talked a little bit about the church, we've talked about our culture, talked about pastors. The reason I say that is pastors are leading the church. And if we have pastors who are not leaders, that's why, again, you see the church that's not really even the framework of the good life. Like, not even a part, not even in the frame, which is, again, the opposite of where it was. You guys with me still? Okay. So, what do we do now? That's what I really care about. Because if we have no solution, all we're doing is just like every other movement. Here's the problem, here's the problem, here's the problem, here's the problem. It's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible. Then if you have no solution, then it's just doom doom and gloom. God has actually given us the help we need. So what do we do now? Uh, first, uh, God and his word must become the foundation again uh, for all of life. I say again because, again, this was actually rooted in our founding. That's why today's message is called, In God We Trust. It's written on our money. Under God, it's in our pledge. And then you look at our documents, you see that God was in the center. And even if it wasn't, the church's role is we have to make him in the center. But the God, God and his word must become the foundation. Um, the Great Commission is one of the most famous, probably, passages of Jesus' words. This was like one of the last things he ever said. Uh, at the end of your life, or his time on this earth, specifically with Jesus, you're, you're going to say the most important things. And the Great Commission is just like this. It's like he knew he was going to send back to heaven. This was after he'd risen from the grave. This is why God is central, because he has the solution. The solution is in Jesus. He paid the price for our sin and for the evil corruption that we all experience, and he rose again from the dead. That gives him authority that no one else has. He is the solution. And this is what he says. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, notice this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's read that together. Let's just read the all authority. One, two, three. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is this word? Earth. Where are we? Good job, everybody. There is no box. All authority in heaven and on earth, everywhere been given. He has it. And he's the only one. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love this. When you think about it in terms of what we've been talking about, Jesus is saying, all the authority has been given to me not only in heaven, 
or heavenly things or spiritual things, but on earth, every single thing that you will face comes under the authority of God in his words, everything. But notice the next part. Therefore, go and tell everyone about it. I love that. It's not just a reality that we hold on to. If this is true, we have to go and we have to proclaim and we have to say the authority is in God. He sets the terms. He has the solution. He defines the problem. We need to go. We need to tell people. Wherever we are, wherever we live. In the early 1900s, there was a pastor, theologian, and he became the Dutch prime minister. His name was Abraham Cooper, and this is what he said. Imagine a politician saying this today. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Everything belongs to Christ. Christ cares about your marriage. He cares about your family. He cares about our church. He cares about our government. He cares about our schools. He cares about the thoughts that we have. He cares about the speech that we say. He cares about what we do, every aspect and every part of every day. Mine belongs to him. He has the authority. This leads to three things, what Jesus is proclaiming. We have a new authority when we turn to Christ. It's him. We have a new authority. It's no longer us. We actually never had it. We wanted it, but we don't have it. We don't have the means to have it. But when you decide to follow Christ, you have a new authority, and that deals, that gives you a new life, and then that gives you a new transformation. You become a different person. That's the solution, new authority. It's got to start there. You can no longer be the authority of your life if you follow Christ. He becomes the authority. You can't create a new life, and you can't come up with the solutions to your problems yourself. He does. And you can't change yourself. Psychology can't change you. Science can't change you. Philosophy can't change you. The government can't change you. God does. He has the authority on heaven and on earth. New life that comes from a new authority that leads to a new transformation. That's number one. Number two, I've got 25, so you guys will be out by 8 p.m. tonight. Just kidding. It's not that bad. Number two, the church must lead the charge in transforming culture and community. If you're a part of Ridgeview Church, if you're a Christ follower, God made you for a time such as this. This is our time to shine. This is our time to make a difference. We do not need to run. We are right in the middle of God's will for our lives because he's decided that he wanted you to be born right in this moment. That's what it means for him to be sovereign. He could have chosen any moment in any place, and you're here. And the church is the central to the redemption. Second Chronicles 7.14, this is one of my favorite passages. If you've not memorized this, I'd encourage you to. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What's the last three words say? Heal their land. 
All authority has been given in heaven and on earth. He will heal their land. This was a promise to the Israelites, but the promise extended to Christ's followers. And again, there are certain blessings, and we are the country we are because we actually looked to God. We humbly sought him. Not perfectly, not everybody, but that's a part of our story. And we need to bring those chapters back. Again, the new authority, new life transformation, you can find it in here. But then look at the, the scripture. I just highlighted what we're supposed to do. The first, we need to humble ourselves. That's the new authority part. I don't have the answers and solutions. I'm not gonna get it from anywhere else except God. That takes humility. We need his help. But that's the predicate to the promise. Like, you, you have to humble yourself. You have to get to the point where you realize we don't have the answers. Nobody has the answers, but very few want to humble themselves to admit it. So humble. And then we must pray. So we take the humility, and it's not just wallowing. It's the, we need your help. I need your word to guide me. This is what the church should do. We need to seek his face. We need to beg out of concern. We need to search out of urgency. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn from our wicked ways. I just want to be real really quick. If you're a Christ follower, part of how we turn from our our wicked ways is we have to stop looking for validation and competence and our identity outside of Christ. That's what the world does. That's what our country does. If you're a Christ follower, your identity and who you are and your worth comes from him. It doesn't come from your independence. It doesn't come from materialism. It doesn't come from success. It doesn't come from how you look. It doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from your family. It comes from him. And I think as a church, we've been just brought in the current of we're seeking validation outside of the things of God. We're even seeking validation from our culture. The culture will not validate. Jesus says, if they hate you, don't be surprised. Why? They hated him. He was perfect and they hated him. You think they're gonna hate us? Yeah, we're not even perfect. We may even give them reason to. Don't be surprised. We also need to stop practicing evil. Here's another thing that we do that's wicked. We need to stop being ashamed of what God's word says. The minute we're ashamed, we're allowing science, psychology, sociology, political theory to define what's right. Only God can do that. We have to be bold and not ashamed. And check out the promise. He will hear us, he will forgive us, and he will heal. Because of time, I'm gonna skip uh, Hosea 10, 12, but it's on your handout. That's a helpful uh, promise uh, to all who follow God. But I want to move to closing, specifically for what our church needs to do. If you can go to the, so as Ridgeview Church, to make an impact, we must, and there's a few things. Keep going. I'm going to summarize it quickly here. So as Ridgeview Church to make an impact, we must. This is why we're here. For those of you who don't know our story, it was three years ago, June of 2018, that we moved here to Plant Ridgeview Church. 
We started in a school, we ended online, we were in a park, and now we're here. It feels like it's been 30 years sometimes. It's been three. But what we're dealing with today and everything I'm talking about, this is why we started the church. It's not to be in a utopia where we can be drawn back from these things. It's because of these things we need to plant and start churches. Because everything I just told you, what we need to do, the church is what does it. And the church is made up of families that band together to do it together. That's how we're going to change the community and our city and our state. Do you think God could change our state? Do you know how he's going to do that? It's through the church. That's why we're here. So I want to just give you what's needed, my sense of that. First, we need to develop pastors and staff who are leaders, not just teachers, that know how to, read, know how to lead righteously and effectively, that intelligently understand the Bible's teaching for how to live healthily and successfully in the real world, personally and so, socially, whatever that word is up there, in society. It's funny on the sentence that said intelligently, then I can't say the word. It's a bummer. But if you've wondered, you may have been at Ridgeview and you wonder, like, why is the teaching on, like, current issues? Or why are next steps? Why is it, like, practical? Well, the reason is because the culture in our country and the world is saying, like, God's in a box. It doesn't apply to real life. So on purpose, we speak about things in real life that you're living so that there's a connection between your life and God's word. That's the way it's always supposed to be. That's why we focus on it. It's on purpose. And then they're personally committed to living out the Bible's teaching practically in faith as they walk with Christ. That's the burden. It's not just to say it, but a leader lives it. And we have to be committed to that. Number two, we need to develop training for church members that will help shape values. Here's the deal. If you grew up in this country going to public school, you have a lot of crazy ideas about how life works. Did you know that? I do too. That's what I did. I also did that in different countries. I'm really messed up. And if you're a young person and you're here, you're going to be told things your whole life about how life works. And you need to ask the question, is that what God says? Is that real? Is that true? Is that right? And the question is, well, how do I answer that if I don't know what God says? Exactly. You have to know what God says to know that if you're being taught, matches that. And so we need training to learn that. So number one, we need perspective and values to fit with biblical standards. It's like we need to know what's really important and the goals that we have actually need to match what the Bible says. We need personal and corporate behavior, behavior so that uh, lives change. Like, we need to be a part of a church that lives out the Bible. We experience blessing in our life, a different kind of life. And now that gives actual authority to what God's word says. Why? Because we've lived it out and it's changed us. And because it's changed us, we want to keep living it out. The church is not about just coming to a place, hearing somebody talk, and going. 
closing the box of God and spirituality and the Bible and then living your life in all the other boxes. No, God's not contained in any box. You may live like that, but he's not contained to it. He wants to speak to every aspect. So part of Ridgeview, what we wanna do is we wanna do what the Bible says, and then we wanna take a step back and see, like, look what God did. Look what God did. And I can stand before you in the three years that we've existed, we have seen that. We've seen families changed. We've seen lives changed, not because of what we're doing, but that's what it happens. If you do what God says, you will change, period. I'm kind of fired up, just so you know. And then societal views so that they impact society with their buying power, voice, and vote. Do I have that on there? Maybe the next one. Oh, it's not on there. That was the best one. Societal views so that they impact society with their buying power, voice, and vote. We need to use the authority we've been given as a citizen to promote the things that actually align with biblical standards. We need to do what's right. And then number three, we need to develop a biblical church organizational form that operates justly with integrity, effectively in completing its ministries, and then as an experiential training ground for biblical values. Again, the church needs to be the type of place where it's an experience. God is real. His word is real. It impacts the way that we treat each other. It impacts what we say and what we don't. It impacts when we mess up. That's why we have the hard attitudes, the way we want to treat each other according to what the Bible says. All of those are uh, connected. I want to end with a Thomas Jefferson quote. I'm like way over, guys. I'm like ruining all your plans. Did somebody say keep going? No. I, I yeah, a kid over there. No. Dad, it's getting dark. The fireworks, Dad. <laughs> oh, I'm enjoying this. And then number four, I didn't show number four. This is really important too. I just gave you three, but then the fourth is we have to multiply churches that continue the same steps. The idea is we need the churches that are doing this within the cities of our state in Southern California, the greater state, and then our country. This needs to keep happening. We have to keep multiplying. That's why we're working. Thomas Jefferson, quote, and then I'm gonna end. God who gave us life, gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Thomas Jefferson said that. That's the reality. God is just. He is right. No matter how we view him, his word is true. Life will flow how he says. We will all face him. And he's gonna give ask us to give an account of our life, every single one of us. So if you're a part of this church, again, we're here for such a time as this. If you've heard today and you're kind of like, well, what, what can I do? I wanna end with some next steps. I think I've said end about 17 times, by the way. I'm just gonna point that out. I wanna end with some next steps. Again, this is how we put this into practice, how we make it real. First, uh, I need training. You have been trained, all of us. You've been trained by school, you've been trained by media, you've been trained by your family. But you might not have the right type of training that represents actually what the Bible says. So uh, we have a few options. I'm not gonna go through all this, but can you 
just go go to the the the, the slide that kind of has all of the all of the trainings on there because I'll summarize it a little bit quicker. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. God and government, we have a training. If you're interested in learning how do you use your political stewardship in a way that represents what I've been talking about today, sign up for that. We're gonna actually be launching that on July 11th. Who's gone through God and government here at Ridgeview? Raise your hand. We've got some other people. Yeah. It's great training. It's eight weeks. Be really worth your time. A horizon if you're like a newer Christian, you're investigating Christianity, you want to learn what it means to actually be a follower of Christ, uh, this is like an eight-to-month uh, program to train you in that, to give you answers. Uh, North Star, two years. It's a two-year leadership training program that we can help you with. How do I lead myself in view of what we've been talking about? How do I lead others? And then Antioch, this is for people who are called into ministry. Like, I want to be a part of the church. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a missionary. God will bring those people to Ridgeview. He already has. But if you're interested in training, that's a five-year training that we have, a part of our network of churches. And so if you're interested in training, you know, if you're kind of just starting out, you may want to start here. If you, God may call you to ministry, this is where you, you may want to get info. If you check that, we'll follow up with you. You're not signing up. It's not like we send you all this thing that you're locked in, but we'll send you info. Uh, second next step, I want to become a member of our church. I hope this is, this has been like, okay, let's do something. Well, if you want to do something a part of our church, like in a committed way, formally, uh, become a member and go through the process of learning more about us and how you can get on board. And then last but not least, I'll come back next week and invite somebody. Next week, we're going to launch a new series called Snap, How to Avoid Hasty and Costly Decisions. Snap. I'm almost done. But I think this will be really helpful. We're going to spend three weeks talking about, again, how does the Bible help me with my decision-making process? I'm going to invite the band up. If they're not here, they're already here. We're going to receive our offering. We haven't done this in a while, guys, but here's the thing. An offering is actually something that we do. Uh, It's a part of worship. It's kind of been burning me recently because we have a part of worship, but it's like a bucket on your way out. So at Ridgeview, we actually pass it. If you don't want to touch it, you just kind of lean back and just let it go by. Uh, but we're receiving our offering, and this is a, a way to worship, uh, to worship God. And so we'll play through uh, some music, and then we're going to close out with one more song. Thank you guys for bearing with me. In all reality, I'm like 10 minutes over. Um, thank you for your patience. As you can imagine, uh, it's hard to talk about what I've talked about in 30 minutes. And so thank you guys for being patient. I hope this has been a help to you. If I've never met you, I'd love to meet you after the service. So Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for the help that you give us. Uh, we do not have to be hopeless because you are our hope and you have given us the answers. You've also given us yourself. You sent Jesus, who is the solution to every problem, who helps us move forward. God, I pray that you will raise us up as a church, united to make a difference in our world. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.